Hey there, I'm Lanika Little, Impact Alpha's social media strategist. Thanks for listening. Impact Briefing is a quick snapshot of this week's stories from Impact Alpha, the leading impact investing daily. And there's much more, deal flow, job postings, and a morning email brief to keep you in the know. For you, our loyal podcast listener, take half off when you use the code briefing50 at impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Now enjoy the show. From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, May 1st. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, Impact Alpha's Jessica Pothering brings us our featured story of the week about how a microfinance lender manages through a health crisis. Hi, Jessica, and welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Brian. Thanks. Great to be here. And we also have Dennis Price, who will profile Paul Farmer and Jim Young Kim of Partners in Health, who are this week's Agents of Impact. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Brian. Good to be back. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in impact investing. By the end of this year, global poverty could increase for the first time since 1998, according to the World Bank. This would wipe out much of the progress made in recent decades. Under the most extreme scenarios, the UN estimates that the number of people living in poverty could increase by 500 million. As Main Street continues to reel from the COVID crash, Impact Alpha's David Bank set forth the 10x challenge, encouraging the field of impact investing to step up its game with speed, ambition, collaboration, capital, and of course, impact by an order of magnitude. Taking up the challenge, Ricardo Bayon of Encourage Capital wrote in Impact Alpha that new and innovative ways of delivering capital can flatten the curve of the economic infection. Here's Bayon on yesterday's Agents of Impact call. Because clearly what COVID has done is it's highlighted lots of the places where our roof is leaking. And I think the time is now to use some of the tools that we've been building up over the last 20, 30 years to fix that roof. This year's annual meeting season for listed companies has arrived. It will be the first annual meetings since nearly 200 CEOs signed a business roundtable pledge to elevate stakeholders including employees, customers, suppliers, and communities, alongside shareholders. The COVID crisis has only raised the stakes for corporations as more investors scrutinize how companies treat and protect their employees, how much they pay their executives, and how they manage their cash. The nonprofit Impact Assets launched a COVID response fund to channel donor-advised funds to unmet needs. And the COVID Capital Relief Database that Kathy Clark of the Case Center at Duke University is building has topped $1 trillion. Finally, while the U.S. government is forcing meat producers and slaughterhouses hit by COVID to continue operating, sales of plant-based meat alternatives have surged, some by as much as 200% in recent weeks. Israel-based InnovoPro and Plantable Foods each secured capital this week to push forward their alternative protein products. I'm joined now by Jessica Pothering from Amsterdam. Her latest piece in Impact Alpha was about a health crisis that shattered families, quarantined communities, closed borders, and shut down businesses. We're talking, of course, about the Ebola crisis in West Africa in 2015. Yeah, that's right. As you teed it up, it sounds a lot like what we're facing around the world today. Now, your story spotlights a microfinance lender, BRAC Microfinance, in Liberia and Sierra Leone. Walk us through what happened. So... 
Brock is a $3 billion microfinance lender. They're based in Bangladesh, uh, but their microfinance arm operates in seven countries around the world. And um, they've been working in Sierra Leone and Liberia for about five years before the Ebola epidemic hit the region. Um, and it got so difficult to work there during that time that they ended up having to make the difficult decision to shutter their operations and recall their international staff until the health crisis subsided. So this must have been really hard on customers who have limited access to finance, right? Because they weren't able to collect on their loans or make any new loans, right? That's right. The customers BRAC Microfinance serves worldwide um, are primarily poor and rural women. Uh, they trade basic goods, run small farms, own kiosks and shops. Um, and so they run these sort of lifestyle businesses, but they're also very vulnerable to shocks. Um, and because of that, BRAC more or less prepared for the worst during the Ebola crisis. They had to stop lending and stop collecting. Uh, and they didn't know what the impact of that was going to be on their borrowers. So they were really expecting that they would end up having to write off about half of their loan book when they were finally able to resume business. Um, they just assumed that their borrowers weren't going to be able to pay. But as you write, that isn't what happened, is it? No, actually. So when BRAC started up again, seven months later, their borrowers immediately started making repayments on their loans. Um, people were so eager to get their businesses and their livelihoods going again. They'd actually been putting money away each month, um, scraping together some other sources of income, just so that they would be able to pay their loans off because they knew that that was the precondition for being able to take out new ones. Um, earlier, I spoke with uh, Shamaran Abed, who runs BRAC Microfinance, and he said that this was really testament to how access to finance helps poor communities improve their financial resilience. Um, but it's also just a general testament to the resilience of those communities, and particularly women. So what are the lessons that impact investors and maybe financial institutions more broadly should draw from the Ebola crisis as we try to work our way out of this current COVID-19 crisis? Right. Uh, I think the lesson that's really most important for impact investors and financial institutions generally is just to get back out there and start lending and get the capital flowing as soon as possible so that people can get back on their feet. Um, Abed said that's exactly what BRAC Microfinance plans to do. Their operations worldwide are shuttered uh, once again. Uh, but as soon as they're up and running, he said they're not going to wait to start making new loans. They're just going to get back out there so they can support their borrowers. And he said, you know, I mean, that was exactly what they got wrong the first time around during Ebola. And that that's their big lesson um, is that the faster you get back out and start lending and supporting people, the faster we're all going to recover from this crisis. All right, Jessica, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Brian. Now it's time for this week's Agent of Impact. Dennis, who are we featuring? This week, we're featuring Paul Farmer and Jim Young Kim of Partners in Health. Partners in Health earned its reputation battling tuberculosis and cholera in Haiti, HIV, AIDS in Rwanda, and Ebola in West Africa. Now, the Boston nonprofit is bringing its model and experience to the front lines of an infectious disease raging in its own backyard. Led by anthropologist and physician Paul Farmer and co-founded by Jim Young Kim, who went on to lead the World Bank, Partners in Health is working with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to ID, trace, and treat every COVID-infected person in the state. In the two weeks after the collaborative announced the creation of the COVID Community Team, a virtual support center of 1,000 people to trace the contacts of COVID-19 patients, the team received over 15,000 job applications. Such contact tracing armies are fast becoming the hallmark of responsible reopening plans in New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Ohio, California, and elsewhere. 
At the center of the organization's model are community health workers who literally accompany people in their journey from sickness back to health. Farmer says human-to-human contact tracing conducted by the COVID communities team in the U.S., even if virtual, is vital to early detection and triage for people who could slip through the public safety net and be at risk for rapid declines in health. Kim, who the New York Times reported convinced Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker to take up the approach in a late-night phone call at the end of March, says the data and experience from countries that have successfully suppressed COVID-19 leave us no choice but to pursue such an expanded response. As Kim puts it, it's time to go on offense against the virus. Thanks, Dennis. And thanks to Paul Farmer and Jim Young Kim for all that you're doing. You can see them and all of our agents of impact on Instagram at Impact Alpha. That's it for your impact briefing this week. You can read more about all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Only subscribers receive full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and a Slack channel. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Jessica, Dennis, and our producer, Isaac Silk, who edited this episode and wrote the theme song. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company, LiquidNet. Make sure you check back next week for the latest impact investing news. Until then, take care.